Well, good morning, everybody. We are in the final day of a series entitled One Month to Live. Ironically, we've been doing the series for about a month now, and the good news is we're all still here. Um, But this series kind of plays on the human emotion that we are all afraid to die, right? And it's nothing to be ashamed of because we all fear the unknown. It's something that's so foreign to us. It's something that's so uncontrollable that we have no idea really what to expect. But what if we were able to flip the whole thing around? What if reflecting on our death tomorrow became something that could actually change the way that we live today? What if we could live every day like we only had 30 days? I think that's what David was actually saying in the passage that I read a few minutes ago, is that he's asking God for this gift. He's asking God for this gift of remembrance, to remember that none of this is going to last. And because of that remembrance, then he says, I want to remember to live differently. Now, you have to know that David was a guy who had a life that went way beyond anything that any of us could ever dream of. He had more wealth and more power. I mean, he was the king of his kingdom and a very powerful king. And so you could almost see David saying, hey, God, Just, I need a wake-up call. I don't want any of this to go to my head. I want to regain my perspective, and I want to remember that someday all of this kingdom that I control, that I have power over, will all one day come to an end. And everything that I work so hard for all of my life will just become somebody else's inheritance. So, like, what's the point? Well, the point is actually found in the question, where do you put your hope? In other words, what or whom are you investing your life in? We all put our hope into something. Some of us put our hope into getting a better job. Some of us put hope into making better money or building a bigger home. Some of us put our hope in being able to one day retire or have enough financial security that we can travel or do whatever. But the thing that you have to realize is that most of the stuff that we dream about, most of the stuff that we put our hope in, has no lasting value. It has no meaning beyond the realms of this world. So, what if we could change our perspective on death from this kind of horrific event that we're dreading, trying to avoid thinking about, to something that could actually have a positive impact on the way that we live. If we knew we just had 30 days left, what would change? What would live differently? What would we keep and what would we change about our lives? The prospect of death, I think, actually helps us to keep life 
in perspective. For instance, it's easy for us to become disappointed with our lives and to act as though it's our successes and our failures that defines us as people, right? For instance, I'm a pretty success-driven dude, and I have to really at times fight through my need for success to understand what is really, really important at times. And I tell you what I've been trying to do lately is to take all the failures that I feel bad about and all of the successes that I'm really proud of, and I ask myself this, what does that failure or that success matter in the end? What lasting value does it have? Is it something that will have a lasting value that goes beyond the day that they bury me? And when I ask those questions, I have to say that it changes my outlook on the way that I live, on the way that I prioritize my life. Because most of the time, the stuff that I get so uptight about doesn't amount to a hill of beans when I'm dead and gone. When we truly get that in the scheme of eternity that our existence is no more than just a blip on the screen, it is only then that we can finally get to the point where we can put our hope in something other than the stuff of this world. When we finally realize that putting our hope in the stuff of this world is like putting your hope in winning the lottery. It just ain't going to happen. On the other side of the coin, however, a proper view of death will not only cause us to understand what it is that we're wasting our time on, but it will also cause us to ask the question, what is it that I am investing my life in? What is it that I am doing that actually will have some meaning beyond my grave? What am I giving my life for and... Is it really worth it? There is a verse in the Bible that has haunted me for years. Um, And I have to say that because it's not only that it's a tough concept to grasp, but it's also one of those verses, if I am really living out, what it's saying. In fact, I just told somebody before the service, it's been 10 years ago that I've actually spoke on this verse because it's a very difficult verse to speak on. And it's a line in the Bible that I paid very little attention to early on in my Christian life because it's the tiniest of phrases and it's really nothing more than a parenthetical note. It's a line that just simply says, Christ, who is your life. Watch. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him 
in glory. Admit it, if I just didn't draw attention to that, you'd have missed that line, wouldn't you? It's like the tiniest thing. So Paul starts out in this verse and he says, okay, you have committed your life to Christ, and so then you need to rearrange the way that you live. So then set your heart and your mind on things above, not on the stuff of this world, because the stuff of this world is having no lasting value like we've been talking about. Instead, focus in on the things of God. I can buy into all that. But then he goes on in this verse, and he says, so when you gave your life to Christ, when you became a Christian, you died. And your life is now hidden. In other words, the life that you once knew, that's gone. Now, he says, you have a new life, and he launches right into that line. Christ, who is your life. It's like he's saying, the Darren that I once knew is now gone and buried. Christ, who is your life, is a foregone conclusion that I have no other life other than Jesus. And it haunts me a little bit because I kind of resent that, you know? I got a life. I want to live my life like I want to live. And it haunts me because there's a tension. Because while on one hand, I want Christ to be my life, but on the other hand, I really want to do what I want to do. And so I have to ask the question, am I really living out this verse? Is this phrase true of me? I want to make sure that we get like the enormity of this statement, because before we lived in Christ. Before we gave our lives to Jesus, we lived pretty self-absorbed lives, right? I mean, the whole world revolved around me. And if you're like I was, then my life was my domain. I like to live like I want to live, and ain't nobody going to tell me how I'm going to live my life. It's my world, it's my kingdom, and I'm the king of my kingdom. And that's what Paul is referring to when he says, For you died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Because becoming a Christian is a dying process. It's not obviously a physical one. It is one where the king of your kingdom is slowly dying a slow death. So that a new king can be crowned. But, There is this battle that ensues in taking control of any kingdom. And there is a battle of wills that takes place. And these two wills get thrown into the cage to fight it out, and only one will come out alive. Because there ain't no room in this body of ours for both of them, so somebody's got to go. It's either you or God. So what Paul's saying here is that we've got to get dead, buried, and out of the way so that Jesus can come in and take over so that he can make us into the people that he created us to become. And he does that one compartment 
at a time. You see, our, our lives are so compartmentalized that we have a compartment for everything in our life. We have a compartment for our career. We have a compartment for our wife or our husband. We have a compartment for our kids. We have a compartment for the rest of our family. We have a compartment for our money, and we have a compartment for church, and we have even a compartment that we label God. Here's the problem. God ain't a compartment. And he's bigger than your box. God wants to be over all of it. He wants to be Lord over all the compartments of your life. See, the problem is that that line doesn't say Christ who is part of your life. It doesn't say Christ who is one compartment of your life. What haunts me is that it says Christ who is your life. Jesus Christ wants to be more than just your Savior. He wants you to be more than just saved. He wants to be Lord of your life. He wants to be King of your kingdom. He wants to be moved from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. He wants everything that makes you, you. He wants to be your life. I, I, I mean, when you view the world and you, and you look at it, there's really only one of two possibilities, right? There's the view that the universe just kind of got banged out into existence for no apparent reason or purpose or even order, and it really doesn't matter what you do with your life because... In the end, it's all meaningless, and when you die, it's just game over. End of story. So in the meantime, do what you want to do. Live the way you want to live, because it just may be that 30 days from now, you may die. The second view is this. You were created by God. You were created by God to be a spiritual being. You were created by God with a sense of purpose and mission and meaning to your life to make a difference in this world. And because of that, we live differently. Because of that, I want to live my life to the fullest the way that God designed me to live so that I can die with no regrets, knowing that my life on the other side is just a continuation of my life today. And so Paul's saying, if you believe in option two, and we put our hope in the one who has conquered death, namely Jesus, it causes us to live differently because death is not the end, it's just the beginning. And so Paul says, let Christ become your life. In other words, give yourself fully to God because you know that when you invest your life in the stuff of God, you'll have no regrets at the end of your life. 
Because whatever work you do, whatever money you give, whatever people you help, whatever ways that you serve, it now all has meaning and value that goes beyond the day of your funeral. When we come to the end of our lives, we will not regret whether or not we made a lot of money. Only that we didn't give enough of it away. We won't regret not having lived in a bigger home. Only that we loved too little. We won't regret that we didn't work hard enough. Only that we didn't give enough of ourselves to other people. We won't regret not being successful in our careers, only that we didn't use enough of our gifts to contribute back. And here's the thing about death. Here's what scares me the most. I do not want to die with regret. And I can tell you this. From my limited amount of time on this earth, those moments in my life that I regret the most are the ones when Christ was so not my life. Those moments when I decided to do what I wanted to do as if I knew better than God what was best for me. And Christ was not my life. I, I don't know about you, but I get in the way all the time. Just when I think God is about to do something in me, that God is about to do something to me, I can't quite bring myself to give up total control and so I say, move over, Jesus. I'll take it from here. And I screw it all up again. As I look at all the areas of my life, I see all of the little compartments that I have held onto so tightly. The stuff that I haven't wanted to give up control of. And as much as I hate to say it, I feel like I have to say it. Christ is not my life. Yet. But I get closer and closer every single day. And I have to tell you, I'm committed to it. I strive for it. Every time I screw up, I understand it more and more, but it is a lifelong process of turning over one compartment at a time. And it's almost become like a mantra for me. I find myself reciting that line throughout the day, almost like I'm trying it on for size, right? Christ, who is my life. How does that feel? And during those stressful times at work or at home when I, I've just lost all perspective, from time to time, I actually get enough sanity to remember just to, to repeat those words. Christ. Who is my life? 
And believe it or not, it changes the way I do things. It changes the way that I see things because when you remember that, all of the junk, all of the stuff that stresses us out, all of the things that weigh so heavy on us, all of the things that eat away on us seem that seem so insurmountable all of a sudden, it just ain't that big a deal. Because the thing that I've learned is that the closer that you live to God, the smaller that everything else becomes. And so for the question for you this morning is this. Can you honestly say, Christ is my life? That he truly is my everything? And if he's not, I will say that there is still time. If you only had 30 days left, what would change? It's turning over one compartment of our lives, one after another, after another. And the more compartments that we turn over to him, the more true it becomes, and the more true it becomes, the more it will free us up to live passionately, fearlessly, brilliantly. Don't waste another minute of your time on this earth on stuff that has no meaning. Because the day will come when all of that stuff will just melt away. And when that day comes, it don't matter where they bury me. Because on that day, I will turn my last compartment over. And with an empty hand, I will take his hand and I will look him in the eye and I will say, Christ, Jesus, you are my life.